Dear Father in heaven, we're so thankful that we have this opportunity to be uh, here, to see each other face to face. It's a, it is a privilege, dear Father, we realize that. It's not possible uh, this time for everyone to gather, uh, but we're appreciative that those of us that are here physically, we can gather, we ask that special blessing, and we ask a blessing on those that are online too, that are listening to this, uh, the gathering too, that they, in, in, in a special way to thy spirit, could also be part of this assembly of, of those that are here to hear thy word, to consider what it has for their lives. Dear Father, we thank you for thy presence, which is true, which is always uh, constant. Dear Father, so many times we uh, miss that presence, we, we don't realize that, we don't avail ourselves of thy ever-presence, thy omniscience, thy omnipotence, thy omnipresence, dear Father, and, and we, we struggle like wandering lost sheep until we realize the Good Shepherd has been there, his help has, has been available all along, and it is in moments like this that, that we can come to that realization, dear Father, we can repent of all of our errors and all, all of our sins, back to thee and be restored. Our souls can be restored. Dear Father, we thank you for the power of thy word, which, uh, that incorruptible word, which will not pass no matter what happens to the, the world that is around us, nations, kingdoms, whatever happens, dear Father, thy word will, will be true to the end of time. And those that cling to it, those that believe it, those that do it, they will be established upon the rock. The storms and the winds will come to that promise even now. And so as we open that word, we ask for thy, thy presence and thy blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was kind of amazing to me that um, the message this morning was so much along the lines of uh, what my thoughts, my what my thoughts intended uh, today, uh, just in terms of that encouragement not to fear. Um, even down to the particular passages that Brother Evan preached from, the Psalms in the New Testament. So I, I don't want to do a reprise of, of that message, um, but maybe just to consider some of those same scriptures and a particular passage uh, in 1 Samuel in the light, uh, particularly for our youth, and, and um, in a way that would be applicable to you. So I'd like to, to read from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 30, and you'll get a little context before we do. I'll try not to, uh, to go too long, but I would like us to take a particular, uh, just a, a closer look at a particular chapter in the life of David. I mentioned many of the Psalms this morning, his honesty, uh, grappling with fear. And uh, um, I think we can learn a lot, even the youth especially can learn a lot from David, from, from this man of God, either those that are starting out in this faith, this faith that he, he professed, or those that haven't uh, fully come to, to grips with it yet. So maybe as some context here, most of you hopefully are familiar with, with 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, some of the stories from there you learned in Sunday school. Maybe you haven't taken the time in a while to read through that passage. I encourage you to do that. It's, it's, as I say, it's easy reading. It's, it's 
pretty gripping. Um, but that's not the, the purpose and the reason I would, I would encourage you to read it through. Um, it's to see and to focus on the heart of this man, David, who's, who's a special individual in a lot of ways in, in Scripture, makes that clear. The, the promises that he was given, the promises that were uh, before he even came on the scene, how Samuel says he's going to take the kingdom, God's going to take the kingdom from Saul, who was not a man after God's own heart, and give it to one whose who, who's heart was, was after him. So I encourage you as you read First Samuel, read some of these accounts, it's pretty exciting. But look at the man David and look at his reaction. Look at where his heart is in this. And that's really the, the spiritual, the lasting benefit you'll get from it. But it, it helps that it's, it's, it's easy reading as it were. It's, it's, it's pretty gripping. I find as I read through these passages that you, know, you read a couple chapters and you realize where you are. It's, it's, it's gone by so quickly. Anyway, so this first Samuel chapter 30, um, the context of this, so you, you know how everyone knows my my four-year-old and the three-year-old know about David and Goliath and, and, and that amazing account. But after that, all the events that fell out after that with with um, with Saul and this trajectory, you know, that, that very quickly Saul thinks he sees this threat, he realizes this is the one that's going to usurp him. And he just, um, at first, very covertly, very sneakily, he's out to kill him. And he'll tell, he tells a servant, you know, when you get a chance, kill him. And then even he tries to do that with a, with a javelin, I think even twice, two times, two different times, um, to take his hand, and it doesn't stop there. It gets only worse. Uh, um, there's this whole, you know, chap from chapter 19 on, uh, as you read uh, this falling out, Saul turns against David, and um, just it goes from bad to worse until David's basically he's running for his life. He is, um, and it, it's just him to start with. Basically, Jonathan tell, tells him, gives him the news, my, my father's not going to change. He's basically going to not stop till you're dead. Uh, that's, that's really the intent of the, the message he tells him. And then David hides himself. He, uh, uh, he just hides in a cave. And you know, people that are discontented, they collect him in chapter 20, 22. He, uh, before that, he went to the priests, got that, that he ate the, the showbread, the that was for the priests only, but it was given to him because it was an emergency, his circumstance. It goes into to, um, chapter 23, where he's really, um, God saves him from the hand of some very ungrateful people that he rescued, these, these um, people of Keilah. He basically is, you know, God tells them they're going to give, give you up to Saul. He gets out of that, chapter 24. Um, Another instance with a cave where Saul actually goes into the cave to, to do his business, as it were, and, and, and David has a chance to, to wipe it out. And his, his uh, friends are saying, this is, this, is, you know, this is from God, come on, this is the chance. And, um, or the, actually the other passage is that one, but basically he cuts a piece off his robe, and Saul relents for a bit, goes back, and it keeps on going. It seems like in every circumstance, David has the right reaction, the right thing. He looks to God. He, even when he confronts Saul about this, um, you know, Saul with Saul, it's everything's about himself. Why are you, you know, why are you people so, um, you know, you're, you're not helping me, everyone's against me, etc., etc. But David, it's never like that with David. It's always the Lord witness between you and me, you know, who is doing the right thing. It's always the Lord uh, looking to him, both for deliverance and as the standard, as the, as the one who, who uh, to whom all are responsible. 
that's remarkable. But then we get to this, this not quite chapter 30 yet, uh, yet, but it seems like there's a darker chapter in David's life. He, after all of this, all he's gone through, um, chapter 27 starts, David said in his heart, I shall not perish one day, one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And it's, it's my uh, reading of this, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think this is now kind of a trajectory, in some ways, away from God. The previously, the decisions he made, he consulted in the ephod, the priest said, this, this, uh, this device. And, I mean, we look at it today, and all oh, that's kind of funny. But that's what they were given by God. That was the established means by which God spoke to his children. And it was a means, actually, by which David consulted uh, and asked, you know, should I do this, should I do that? And, and God used it, actually. He delivered him uh, a number of times using this means, this, this, this ephod, where the priest would, I don't even know how it is or what it is, but they would receive an answer uh, to a question that David would pose. David didn't do that, you know. This, the start of chapter 27, he, he despairs of his, his life. He said, I, I'm, I, I don't see any way out of this. I'm going to go over to the enemy, basically. You know, the enemies, the, the Philistines are the only place where Saul doesn't have control, jurisdiction. I can get away from him, and, and eventually he'll give up. And um, my feeling from, from reading that and kind of seeing the events that happen is that, that wasn't... Um, I don't know if it was a wise decision. I don't think it was really a decision that, that uh, acknowledged God or looked to God because he becomes sort of morally compromised. He lies a number of times. At one point, I don't know if he actually would have come to it, but right near the end, when all the Philistines are getting to that uh, big battle, the battle in which eventually uh, Saul dies, Saul and Jonathan, David says, um, yeah, I, I, I will go up, I'll fight with you, basically fight against his brethren. Verse 8 of chapter 29. Um, you know, what have I, he says to his, his, his Philistine master, Ashish, but what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servant so long as I have been with thee unto this day, that I may not go fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And here he's talking about the Israelites. So I don't know if he's, he's being deceptive here or whatever. Anyway, my point in all this is that I think it's a trajectory. Kind of, he despairs of his life. He, he, he thinks I have to take matters into my own hands, and he kind of gets in a path and in a way that that seems to be moving away from God. And and what is amazing to me is that, and this is what marks David as a man after God's own heart, is that there is repentance. There there is that realization. There is that moment of, of, of you see it in the sin with Bathsheba, but. You see it, uh, I think, in this chapter, which we're going to read in chapter 32, that this, this man, David, though he made a number of bad decisions, and he does things, and, and I don't think lying really is ever condoned in the Bible, just records it as it is. God uses that however he does in his, his wisdom and his, um, his sovereignty, but he doesn't condone lying. God still uh, saves David from so much. As I alluded to, that final battle there, with the, the, the big battle with the Philistines, Basically, he's ready to go up, or he doesn't see a way out of it. And, and the other Philistines mistrust David and say, no, no, we don't want this guy out in the battle with us. He may turn, he may, he, may, uh, he may turn against us. And so David and his men basically get out of that really sticky situation you know, where they could potentially be inviting their own kinsmen. Right? And David was so careful not to lift up his 
song in there. I'm kind of putting a bit of, of my interpretation on this. But basically how we get to chapter 30 is that for about a year and four months, David is uh, under the authority of this Philistine king, uh, king of Gath. Gath, where have you heard that name before? That's David, uh, Goliath of Gath, right? The same, same kingdom from which Goliath is from. He's under this authority of this man, and, and this man trusts him because he never um, openly defies him, and um, he's careful. He, again, deceives him, this man. He's, he, he goes out on these raids. He doesn't raid any of the towns of Judah. He raids the other enemies of, of Israel, the, of the Amalekites and, and some of the other nations there. But he says, I've been raiding my, the, the, you know, them of Judah. Basically, this man gives him, this king of, of, of Ashish, uh, gives him a town, Ziklag. And that's where we're coming to now. So all David, he's able to 600 men, and him there in this town. And it came to pass, first verse in chapter 30, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, so this is, they come back from that, that big uh, gathering of the Philistine forces, they'd be turned back from that, that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag, and had smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So a word about these Amalekites here. They are the mortal enemies of, of Israel. Um, you remember on their exodus from Egypt, they were the ones that, that came in, the rear parts of them, and really, um, they basically cut off the stragglers, so like a pack of wolves, right? Get the weak ones. Not only there, they were the ones that, that God had commanded Saul to utterly cut them off, and Saul didn't do that, right? He didn't, he didn't destroy them utterly, and as a result, the kingdom was taken from him. Not only that, I, I just recently made the connection. Um, in at the book of Esther, Haman was a, an Amalekite. He was an Agagite, as, the, as the, uh, the, the, the book of Esther records, and, and Agag was the king of, of Amalek. Saul was supposed to slip. So these are the, the mortal enemies of, of Israel. The people that they kind of, if, if you would say that they're, they, that have been opposing them all along. They come along, they burn the city completely, and they take everyone, the captives, everyone captive. It says, here they didn't kill anyone, great or small, carried them all away and went all the way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Just put yourself in their shoes for a moment. These, these 600 men returning there and everything is up in smoke and they don't know yet what ha what's happened to their, their, their loved ones. Everything that they own, everyone that they love, is gone. And I'm sure you and I, they think the worst. What has happened to them? Yeah, I think that speaks for itself there. It notes here, David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. The, per the verse I want to focus on here is verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. So not only on that, on top of that, everyone turns against David. Basically, all the people that were following him say, you know, there's this mutter and this talking, and 
I'm sure David's aware of it. But the last part of this verse here, which I've, I'm sure you've heard before, but it bears some thinking about today. Um, bears some focusing on. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I think maybe part of the challenge of this time, um, particularly for young people, um, is this sense of isolation, is, is the fact that you cannot get together easily with other people, uh, you can't enjoy their company, when, when things are down you can't count on, on, on a few good friends to you know, spend some time with you and lift you up, it seems like there's no ease and no uh, relent uh, from that isolation. But I want to, as a young person, I want to encourage you to, to see ultimately your, your encouragement has to come first from the Lord, your God. First of all, the Lord has to be your God, and then he is the one that can supply your need. David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. That identification with God, that is the thing uh, that will sustain you. And youth is often the time, teenage years into, into uh, young adult years are the time where identity, Either figuring out or solidifying, I kind of know who I am, what my values are, what I, what my plans are for life, what, I'm, you know, what life is all about. You, you, you're grappling with and hopefully figuring out those big questions. I'd say that this is also the time that that the right time that you not only identify with God as and take Him as your God, identify with Him as 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 the one that you value above everything else, but also establish that relationship that allows you to. In, be encouraged in him first and foremost, not uh, necessarily in other people, though other people are often used by God and, and everyone is constructed differently. You know, I recently heard from, from a, another young brother that, you know, 2020 has been a bad year for a lot of people, but he, this brother testifies, says 2020 has been a good year for, for me. And he said it was because it was that time spent with the Lord that time spent with digging into his word and, and growing in, in ways that can only come from God. Um, I think that can be the victory of the Christian. You know, circumstances always, you know, your peers, the, the, the other people that you know, seem to be going a certain way. It's like we're all kind of behaving this way. It's all, we're all kind of all experiencing this thing. But the Christian who is founded on God, who is founded on His Word, has, has, has a rich, has this well, uh, this living water, as it were, that, 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 that can sustain him, that allows him to be different. Not, you know, oh, I'm so different from everyone else, and I kind of pat myself on the back. But I have something so much more precious than, than all of these other people that are, that are floundering about, that I look around me and I, I wish the same for them. And by God's grace, I want to share that with them, too. But... I really ought to be different. I, I should be able to encourage myself in the Lord because He is my God. He's the one that sustains me. And really, if I, um, whether I am able to, to have a good time with other people or not, I should still be able to encourage myself. That may not look like, oh, I, I'm feeling up and I'm feeling down. That not be, may not be what I'm talking about here. But through all of the ups and the downs, whatever they are emotionally, are you feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling alone now. I know that my encouragement, my my source of 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 of, uh, of 
refreshment, spiritual refreshment, that everything will be all right, everything is currently all right, has to come from God, has to be Him as the, as the source of encouragement. And, um, you know, it, it, it's really the difference between me getting comfort from the other sheep, in the sense that we're all together in a herd, and I have this comfort in numbers, and we're all kind of grouped together, versus me getting comfort from the shepherd, the one who actually knows all my needs completely, the one who sees all the dangers, who's prepared things before me. Um, I've been reading a, a book, an old book, maybe some of you read it, it's, it, I don't know if it was written in the 60s or the 70s, um, called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. A sister in the, in the church gave it to me. I've read it before, but just reading it again, really interesting. I encourage you to read it if you get a chance. It's just goes through every verse of Psalm 23, and he offers insights because the writer is a shepherd, and it's a pretty successful shepherd, and he kind of gives this whole other perspective. Like, I never thought about that because I, I don't really know sheep. I don't really know the roles and responsibility of a shepherd. And it's interesting. It gives you more insight into that, that, that much-loved Psalm 23. But the real value of it is, is not that this man is a shepherd. It's that he knows the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the encouragement I take from that book. That's the encouragement I take from this account here. The reason this man, David, is the man who he is is because he knows God. Because he knows the same God that I do. He depends on him the same way that I do. End of story. He may have been some, some physical... Um, Superman in terms of some amazing person in battle. He may have been a, a, a compelling figure um, in a lot of other ways, but basically him and I are the same. We have the same God. We can encourage ourselves the same way in him. That's, that's a real encouragement for me. Because I think in every believer's life, these moments of encouraging ourselves in the Lord our God are the turning points. You know, they're, the, they're the, the inflection points, as it were, in our story. They're the points where we turn back to God, where we realize it's all been about Him all along. And the circumstances don't always necessarily change around us. You know, the things we're going through, they may not click, and okay, now everything's going to go all right. But the story changes, and I start to realize now, as I encourage myself in God, oh, He has a plan and purpose and all of this. And I actually start to see what He's doing in the circumstances in my life. Before it looked like a mess. And I'm saying this because literally that is what has happened to me. That's happened to me in, in a lot of different places. And one of the ones that stands out to me the most is in, is in marriage, is in my um, preparation for marriage. That it looked like a disaster. It really did. And I'd be willing to share some time with you if, you, if you're ever interested. I can share the particulars and the detail. But I, um, I ran uh, for years from God's purposes and God's plan for me in marriage. And it was only at the point of depending on God and being encouraged by Him, that I was able to start to see, oh, this is His plan. This is how it's all working out. Oh, He's been so gracious and merciful the whole time. He's been, he saved me. And I'm sure David, at the end of that chapter of his life in the Philistines, that year and four months or whatever it is, he could look back and say, God saved me. He saved me from a real sticky situation. He saved me here. He saved me there. And as it turns out, after he encourages himself in the Lord his God, Things start to change, right? Again, he gets verse 7. David said to Abiathar the priest, the Himalayan son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, 
Should I pursue? Should I go after? So now David comes back to the right way of thinking, the right way of depending on God. After he's encouraged himself and God's promises to him, probably going back, maybe even before that anointing that Samuel gave him, that, that promise that this is God's purpose in your life, which does not, this, as he's looking at the smoking ruins of that city that, that, that the Philistines lent him, how is this all going to work out? And then he starts to see, he starts to inquire of God. And then from that point, God says, go. They, 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 they find him. So 600 men go with him, the six that followed him. Then they get to a brook, probably the brook, I don't know, was difficult to cross or something. And 200 of them were so exhausted they couldn't go. So they left him behind. 400 go on. Then they find this guy wandering in, in the desert. And it says here in the field, maybe in, the, in, in some open, barren area because he had, had not eaten or drinking, drunk anything for a while. They find him, they give him something, kind of restore him, and then David asks him. So basically a, um, a random act of mercy in the sense of David's kind to this man, and then it turns out this man says, I was a slave uh, with these, these Amalekites, and this is what happened. We captured this village, and they're all there. And he tells them where they are. After that, they go, they capture them all, get them all back, wipe out all of the Amalekites except couple, 200, I don't know how many men, 400 young men that, that escaped. So the Malachites continued on after that. Everything's restored. They get all the, the, the women and the children back, all the spoil, the additional spoil that the, that the Amalekites had got from other cities in Judah. Uh, that spoil, um, David, in, in, in his graciousness and his fairness, his, his sense of, 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 of God, what God values, he says, you know, the ones that stayed back and couldn't cross the brook, no, no, we're going to make sure everything's restored to them, not just their wives and kids. And, and he distributes, he's basically, um, it's a reconciliation. He's able to reconcile again with those other Israelites after this. Things turn around for him. I see this as a turning point. This is the point where nothing is going right and no one is on his side, and yet he has the Lord his God to encourage himself in. I think. That is what we need to learn from a young age. That's, that's the, um, the path we need to go from a young age, is depending on God alone, not looking to other people. And um, I've had many uh, falls along the way, I've had many errors, many sins along the way, many times that I've, uh, I've pushed back against God's mercy and His grace, and yet He has been patient, and He's always worked it out. As I open my eyes to you, I say, oh, God has promised. God is faithful. God is true. He is true to me. Things have turned around as a result. So I'd encourage you. I, I don't have uh, um, too much more um, to share, but I just encourage you that now is the time when you're young in this difficult circumstance, which may be a, a circumstance that you may be thinking, how is this? This is not fair. My parents didn't have to go through this, or you know, other people don't have to go through this. What I'm going through, this is a time to be rooted, to be established, to grow deeper in that, in that faith and that trust in Jesus Christ. There's one passage here I'd like to, to close with from, I think it's from Ephesians 3, that end, that prayer that, that Paul says, I get down on my knees. That word rooted and I'm triggered. Because if 
it is about us opening our minds to the reality of the truth of what God has given us. And I think part of that is an active pulling away from the things that discourage us, the things that are going to blind and obscure that reality of God's truth. So Ephesians 3. So after it says he starts to pray, I bow on my knees. Verse, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, and here, the, the love is God's love for us. That love that, that he has pursued us with, that he has given his son. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height. To see the big picture. It's not my current circumstances. It's not how difficult things are with pandemic. And I can't see this. I can't do that. I can't... Um, there is a bigger picture of, of me and God here. His, his working in my heart. Me realizing that. That's, that's what's really valuable. To know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the abundance that God wants to pour out into your heart, even in this time. And uh, it starts with you uh, turning to Him. He's, his, his heart is turned to you. His, his arms are opened to you in love. He's in, whether you profess him as your Lord and Savior, or whether you, whether or not you do, his arms are open unto you in love, either in invitation or in, in um, that, uh, the, the arms of a father. He is turned towards you. You need to turn to him and away from the things that discourage the way, the things that cloud your, your vision and your, uh, your mind. Do not comprehend the depth, uh, the, the height of God's love for you. May the Lord encourage you in that. May He make you realize that. Help you to realize that in the days ahead. Because um, even if things, you know, in a month or two, and I don't think so, but you know, things suddenly boom, they're back to normal. But just the way they were, life doesn't go on like that. There will be challenges down the road. There will be further tests. You know, even if you, if you're, oh, good, we're all past, pandemic's over, it's all done and good with, and gone with. There's further tests, there's greater uh, challenges, more valleys to go through in the future that your uh, behavior now is going to determine, is going to help you get through as you, as you uh, encourage yourself in God. May He bless His work. I do know we need each other. I mean, God did design us as, as uh, not only as social uh, beings and, and, and people that are relational, but you know, His plan is the body and is the church. And, to manifest his, his salvation. But even more and first and foremost above everything is we need God. We need him and, and, and um, more than anything else, more than the, the, the breath, more than the, the air that we breathe and the food that we eat. And ultimately, any situation that makes us realize that is good. Even though the, the situation is horrible and awful and not fun and, 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 and miserable, that's the good in it. <laughs> to help me realize I need you, Lord, more than anything else. And, and to be satisfied and encouraged with, with just that, first as, as, the, as, the, as the kernel and the, um, what everything grows from. So may God encourage us with that uh, today.
with, with seeing each other, first of all, but experiencing him and his word and his faithfulness to those in the past and his faithfulness to us in the past, too. Um, with that, we conclude this service.